0: Well, we've told each other, have a happy new year. The question is, how do you do that? I mean, that's really, you know, some, a nice little sentiment to have a happy new year, but how do we do that? How do we ensure that uh, if God grants us another 365 days in this life, that we are going to be joyful and content and happy in our lives. Today, I don't want to so much preach a sermon as just share some good biblical counsel and pastoral counsel with you this morning. You'll join me in turning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's writing to that church at Philippi He's writing to it from a Roman prison cell. And he starts chapter 3 by saying, Finally, my brethren. And I know all of you wait patiently and expectantly uh, when a preacher is preaching for that word finally or in conclusion. Uh, That just simply means you've got another 20 minutes to go. Um, uh, Paul, being a good teacher, good preacher, he says finally, but he's got a lot more good stuff to tell you. In fact, uh, it's real important you pay attention to everything after the finally, because when you finally get to that place where you say finally, you're going to take everything you just taught and say, okay, now this is how you actually live it. This is how you actually apply it in your lives. So Paul says, finally, my brethren, Rejoice in the Lord. If you're going to have a happy new year, you're going to have to be happy in Jesus. Your situations, your circumstances in life may not be good. And I don't care what you've been through, this next year could get worse. But no matter what the next year brings, you can be joyful and content and happy in Christ who never changes who is always, always sufficient for everything that we are and everything that we need. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What Paul says is, I like to repeat myself. And if you've noticed anything in my teaching, you notice I repeat myself a lot. Do you like Charles Stanley? you like listening to Dr. Stanley's preaching? If you ever listen closely to one of his sermons, you'll notice he repeats the same thing over and over and over again, from beginning to end in a sermon. He will repeat the same thing, the same theme, sometimes the same words in any given message, eight or nine times. Okay, that he's following Paul's example. Uh, you see, I, I'm firmly convinced that the. Uh, uh, it's not so much that we need new understanding of Scripture and we need to learn something more to help us find contentment and joy in the Christian life. We just need to be reminded to put into practice that which we've already learned. So Paul says, I'm just reminding you of some things and make sure you're living them out to the implication. Then, as he was reminding them, notice the next thing. Beware of dogs. Beware of dogs. Now, we have a dog. We have a little Sheltie named Eli, and Eli's a good little dog. The kind of dogs that Paul's talking about was not the kind of dogs we have in our homes. They did not have domesticated dogs in Paul's day. The dogs were wild dogs. The dogs were scavengers. The dogs uh, hung out in the uh, uh, garbage dumps. The The dogs could cause you problems and trouble and pain. So he says, beware of dogs. Who are the dogs? Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. Ah, now we kind of understand. He's writing about a group of people that came into Philippi with some false teachings and false doctrines. They were claiming to be Christians, and they were claiming to speak on behalf of God, But what they were teaching is, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to become a Jew. Not only do you need to become a follower of Jesus Christ, but you have to keep the law of God. You've got to convert to Judaism as well, and as a sign that you're doing that, you've got to be circumcised. What Paul is saying, if anyone comes to you preaching any other gospel except the gospel once delivered to the saints, you better be careful and beware there are dogs out to hurt you. And the sad truth in our day and time is one of the best pieces of advice I can give to you is beware of the dogs that are out there because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people teaching false doctrine. They might not be teaching you that you've got to convert to Judaism as well as Christianity, but they will teach you that the primary purpose that Jesus died on the cross was not primarily to save you from sin, but to make you prosperous. To give you stuff and to keep you healthy, and they present a prosperity gospel. There's a lot of other gospels that are out there. I sat in my office just Friday and was talking with a couple, uh, and they had been in church most of their life, but and they were wanting to talk about the possibility of becoming a part of this church. And I said, well, the first thing we got to make sure of is that you've been genuinely saved, and. And they they asked the question, what do you mean genuinely saved? And I said, let me explain to you what the Scripture says about how a person is saved. What saving grace and saving faith looks like. And though these people have been in church in their life and serving in church, doing things in church, as we talked together, it became pretty apparent very quickly they'd never heard that message of the gospel before. Never heard that message of the gospel. There's a lot of people out there that will tell you a lot of different ways that you can get to God, but there's only one way, and it's the way His Word says. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through an understanding of sin, repentance of sin, faith fully in Christ alone, and that which He did for you in his, His life without sin, in His substitutionary atoning death on Calvary's cross on your behalf where He paid the price for your sin took your sin into His own being, paid the debt that you owe to Holy God, received the fullness of the wrath of God that you deserve, shed His sinless blood, died in your place, was buried, rose again, ascended to be back with His Father. And you believe that to the point where you're willing to let go of control of your life and surrender all that you are to all that He is to acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. And apart from that, there is no salvation. And it is sad but true, there are people meeting in churches all over this county, all over this area that will be meeting today, that will not hear that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beware of the dogs. For he says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. He says, those who have really been united with Christ, those who belong to Him, are those who worship Him in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, our salvation and our position before God is not found in anything in us, is found in Christ alone. And that which He has done for us and that which he does in us. Then in verse 4, have no confidence in the flesh, he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He says, if you can be made right with God through what you do outwardly, Paul says, buddy, I'd have been there. I'd have been at the head of the class. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm uh, more so. Then he starts giving his pedigree of how in Judaism he did everything that Judaism said that you got to do to be right with God. Circumcised the 8th day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law a Pharisee. If the law can get you to God, he said I'd have been there. Actually while we were in Israel, one of the things we had the privilege of doing is I had the chance to stand on the very steps where Paul was schooled by Gamaliel in the law. Stood in the very place where Paul learned all about the law of God. Concerning zeal, he said, If you think I was zealous for that which I believe, I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church because he thought they were teaching a false doctrine. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he says, best I understood the law, I tried to keep the law. But what things were gained to me through his efforts? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. In other words, he says, there is nothing in my life that was of value. There was nothing in my life that was of worth. Though I devoted my life to the study of the Old Testament. Though I devoted my life to trying to do what it said. Though I devoted my life to try to destroy any that I thought was teaching something false. So he as it was all for nothing. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost. Let me ask you, what are you counting in to make yourself right with God? What do you think it takes to get into heaven? If this day you were called out into eternity and you stood before God, God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What is your answer? I've asked those questions to many people, and I've been given many, many, many different answers. Most of the answers center around their works and what they do and how good they think they are compared to other people. I want you to understand this the only person that God's going to ever compare you to is the Jesus Christ. who's the standard of all truth because He is the truth. The sad reality is most people that think they're going to heaven aren't. They're not. In talking with this couple on Friday, after I explained the Gospel to them, they said, then, Pastor, what you're telling me is most of the people we go to church with are lost. And they were exactly right. Exactly right. Most people who believe that one day they're going to be walking on golden streets Are actually going to be burning in the flames of an eternal hell. Reason primarily being because they're trusting in something other than Christ to get them into heaven. They created an image of what they think Jesus is like. But the problem is, the Jesus they've created in their mind is not the way Jesus describes Himself in His Word. And they've come up with their own system of what they think it will take to get them into heaven. But it's not what the Word of God declares. And the sad reality is, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, there are people in this very room who are listening to what I'm saying and they're thinking to themselves, Preacher, I know I haven't done what you said a person's got to do, but I've done what I thought was right, and I think God's going to understand. But you're wrong. But you're wrong. God is going to deal with you on the basis of His Word, not on the basis of what you think. The way I've described is the only way to God. Paul finally comes to the conclusion when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and he actually saw God as He really is in Christ. He came to the conclusion, all those years I was wrong. everything I've ever done, trying to get there, is never going to get me there. Everything I was looking for and trying to do, I actually could not do, but everything I needed to do and should have done was all done in the person of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I either trust in Him and follow Him, or I'll never get there. So he says, Yet indeed I count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, the one who's now in control of His life, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, I gave them all up. Whatever you're trusting in to get you there, you got to let go of it. Because it's not going to get you there. I count them as, as loss." I count them as rubbish, as garbage, that I may gain Christ because salvation is found in Him and no other place. And what does it mean to be saved? To be found in Him. You're either in sin and in death and in you, or you're in Christ. Those are the two positions. You're either in sin, in death, and in you, or you're in Christ. Salvation is when God takes you out of sin and out of death and places you into the person of His own Son so that He no longer sees you and who you were. He sees you in Christ and all that He is. That There should be an amen there. Amen? Amen. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. In other words, he says I tried to keep the law, and he says I what I discovered is when I met Christ. When I thought I was righteous, I thought I was good. I was thought I was keeping the law, but he says when I saw pure holiness in Christ, when I saw absolute righteousness and then compared my heart, and my motives, and my thoughts, and my actions to Him? I found out, you don't find salvation in the law, you find condemnation. It shows you how far short you've fallen from the glory of God. and be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Here's what you need to understand. In your lostness, you have no righteousness. I mean, none. There's no good thing in you. You say, Brother Tim, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You might be moral, and you might be kind, but you are not good. And if you're really honest with yourself, when you examine the reasons for why you're being moral and kind, what you're going to discover is even your motivation is selfish. You're doing it because it makes you feel good about yourself. It's not being done and you're not living the way you're living for the glory of God. You're trying to feel good about yourself. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, the only righteousness that I could ever have is the righteousness that comes from God. For the only righteous life that has ever been lived was lived by Jesus Christ. So in other words, you've got to give up your life and receive His righteous life. Now, what do you do after that? What do you do after you're saved? How do you live? And what do you live for after you're saved? And if you're going to know true joy and contentment in this next year, how are you going to get it? Now he tells us. He says this is the one thing he lives for that I may know Him. Paul says, the reason I needed this righteous life of Christ, the reason I needed His cleansing, the reason I needed His forgiveness, is because I needed to know Him. And what I live for in my life, my all-consuming passion and desire is to know Him fully and completely as He is. There's another word for that truth. To know Him. You know what it is? Eternal life. In John 17, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer just before the cross, And this is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life, folks. That's the result and gift and glory of salvation. The privilege of knowing Him. Understand, eternal life is not about being able to live forever in heaven. Eternal life is not about being able to walk on golden streets. It's not about walking through a gate of pearl. It's not about being able to stand beside the crystal river that flows before the throne of God. Eternal life is the privilege of knowing Christ in His fullness. You can know Him now. Eternal life isn't something that comes later. It's now. In my lostness and in my sin and in death, I could not know Him. I was cut off from Him. I was an alien from Him. I was a stranger to Him. But now because of Christ, by grace, through faith, since my sin is now cleansed and forgiven, and I'm clothed in His righteousness, I now have the privilege of coming into His presence that I might know Him and all that He is. Question. What's your goal for 2023? What do you want to accomplish? What's going to make you feel like you have somehow succeeded, been successful in this new year? Why are you going to get up tomorrow morning? What's your greatest desire? I mean, Not what should it be. What is it? For those of us who have been saved by grace through faith, we should have but one desire in all of life. To know Him. If your greatest desire in life is to see your ball team win a game, if your greatest desire in life is to make sure you got X number of dollars in your bank account so that you can make sure that you can retire and live a fairly decent life. If your greatest desire is to be able to spend more time with your kids or your grandkids or your parents, if your greatest desire is to get that next promotion on the job, If your greatest desire is to receive recognition from people for things that you've accomplished. You need to check out where you are in your relationship with Christ. I want you to understand you can have all of those things. You can have all those things, but if you think that's going to bring you ultimate joy and contentment and satisfaction and peace, you are sadly mistaken. Do I need to recall the list of names of all the famous people who had all the wealth and all the recognition, had all the esteem of men, who on an earthly level had achieved everything achievable and died miserable. Many of them committing suicide. Many of them dying through drug abuse. Because they discovered you can never find ultimate satisfaction in those things. It will always leave you empty. Folks, I want you to understand. The Word of God declares this, not this preacher. You will never know genuine peace. And you will never know genuine contentment. You'll never find the thing that you think you're looking for until you come to know Christ in all of His fullness. He says, my greatest desire is that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. The very power that raised Him from the dead. Did you know that same power as we seek Him and come to know Him lives in us? But how do you get there? How did Jesus experience? If you want to know Him and experience all that He is and all that He's been and all that He's done, and you want to experience power of res- resurrection. How did Jesus experience the power of the resurrection? He had to first experience the cross. The fellowship of his suffering. Now his suffering started long before the cross. Throughout his life, even in his birth, someone sought to kill him. All of his life, people rejected him. All of his life, Satan was out to destroy him. All of his life, he had people just trying to look for anything in him that they could accuse him of. He came and demonstrated the greatness of all that he is. He demonstrated the greatness of the power of God. And you know what they said about him? He's doing that by the power of the devil. He is not of God. He healed people who rejected him. Remember the ten lepers? Only one came back and thanked him. The rest of them just kind of went on their way. But then there was the cross. There was the ridicule. There was the beating. There was the scourging. They were the nails, but more than anything else, it was taking into absolute holiness our sinfulness. Experiencing separation from His Father. Experiencing the wrath of a holy God upon our sins. Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do you want to know him? Do you want to be like him? Do you want to know the fullness of his power? You only get there when you share in his suffering. Share in his suffering. How often do we cry out to God and that beg Him and plead with Him to remove our suffering? I understand that. I've been there. And what we don't understand is, is through the suffering we come to experience Him and learn of Him in ways we've never known before. Yesterday, Robin and I celebrated 42 years of being married. 42 years. we had dated for about three and a half years before we got married. So we've been together about 45 years. And I thought I knew Robin. I mean, there's, we've shared our lives, everything in life, for 45 years. And I thought I knew. her. You know what I'm discovering? I'm still coming to understand who she is. You know why? Because as we go through life, we go through new circumstances we haven't been through before. And as we face those new circumstances and those new challenges and those new levels of suffering, there are things that come out through her that I've never seen before. And there's things that come out of me she's never seen before. Some of them are good things. Some of them, not so great. So even though we've been together so long, with each new challenge, with each new pain, with each new heartache, we're still discovering new things about each other. And it's the same way in our walk with Christ. You could have been a Christian for a long, long time. 40, 50, 60 years. But as you face each new challenge, as you face new levels of suffering and pain and difficulty, and He shows up in the midst of them, you're coming to understand new things about Christ you've never understood. They might be things you learned through your study of Scripture and you saw them and they were there. But then as you face that challenge and He strengthens you in it and helps you through it, you come to know Him on a whole lot deeper level. Paul says, I want to know Him the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death. His death was the ultimate love demonstrated in sacrifice of all that He was. Paul is saying, I want to know Him and whatever it takes to get me there that I might be able to love like Him. And I might be able to live like Him. You see, the Christian life, the essence of the Christian life is Jesus coming to live His life in you and through you. And the question is, but what does that look like? What is it He is shaping you to become? Romans chapter 8. His ultimate purpose for your life is to save you and shape you and mold you and conform you to look like the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it you're supposed to be? Who are you supposed to be? What should your attitudes be like? What should your emotions be like? What should your words be like? What should your actions be like? You'll only know As you come to know Him, to know Him. Then you'll see what God is at work shaping you to be. Part of what we're gonna do to help you come to know Him, starting next Sunday, good Lord willing, we're gonna walk through one of the Gospels, which is the story of the life of Jesus. And as we walk through the life of Jesus in that Gospel, and we see who He was, who He is, we will come to understand who He's shaping us to be. He says, to be conformed to His death, if by any means I attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, He says, I want Christ to do anything that is necessary in my life that I might know Him in, in fullness and be like Him until that day when He comes to receive me unto Himself. Then he says, not that I've already attained. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian who's ever walked the earth, he says, I'm I'm not there yet. I'm not. Folks, in order to come to understand Christ and that which He's at work doing in our lives, you have to be honest with yourself about where you are at this moment. And some of us think we're a lot further along the line than we actually are. A lot of us kind of have the attitude, I sure wish everybody else in their Christian life was as good as I am where I am because if they, as they were, they'd be a whole lot better off. The more you come to know Him, the more you're going to see yourself as you actually are. He says, not that I already attained or am I already perfected. He said, I'm not fully like Christ, but this is what He does. So how in 2023 Are you going to come to know Him in His fullness, experience His his power, and have Him do the work that's necessary of growing you in Him to be like Him? This is how it works. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. He says, I keep pressing on from the day that Christ laid a hold of me, He laid a hold of me that I might be saved and grow to know Him and to be like Him. And He laid a hold of me for that reason. So He says, and now I'm pressing on for that very purpose. To press on means the stuff you got to do. You just can't sit back and do nothing and think you're ever going to get there. You can't just go on cruise control, folks. You've got to Press. You've got to spend time in this Word. you got to spend time in prayer. you got to spend time asking God to search your heart that you might see the sin in there that's laying in there that you're not even aware of. That you might confess it, repent of it. That you might grow in the righteous life that He has declared that you already are. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, This is what you need to do when you're pressing on. Forgetting the things which are behind. Forgetting the things which are behind. You're never going to get ahead until you let go of what's been. Some of you cannot grow in your life. You can't grow in your relationship with Christ. You can't grow in Christ's likeness. You can't grow in joy. Because your thoughts and your heart are, con- are consumed with what's been. You got to let go of that stuff. You got to let go of the sin. You got to forget about it. Paul, he could have spent his life beating himself up over how he persecuted churches and how he persecuted Christians. He was the one who held the coats for the people that were stoning Stephen to death. He could have looked at how wrong he actually was in his life. and The things that he did, and the pain that he caused, and he could have spent his life under condemnation. And some of you can't move forward because you keep thinking about what you've done, where you've been. Listen if, you come to, if you've come to Christ he's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. as we talked about Wednesday, some of us have a higher standard of righteousness than Christ does. We say, well I know God's forgiven me I just can't forgive myself but aren't you mighty holy? You got a pretty high standard? God's able to forgive it. you going to hold on to it? Let go of it. One of the things, I know this upsets people when I say it, one of the things I don't like about Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and a lot of counseling programs for addictions and stuff like that, is they say the big thing you got to do in your life is you have to admit you're this, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, or whatever, and you have to admit that you're powerless over that and you'll always be that. And so you get up in the meeting and you say, Hi, my name's Tim and I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict, or I'm a whatever. I want you to understand, that is not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says when you got saved and you got cleansed, you were also transformed and you became a new creation in Christ Jesus and all the old things passed away and behold, all things become new and you are now no longer the slave of sin. Whatever that sin may be, But Christ has set you free. You don't identify yourself by your past sin. You identify yourself by who you are in Christ. Huh? You've got to forget that stuff. You can't go back and undo it. You can't change it. But you've been cleansed from it. You've shed blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to let go of the sin and you've got to let go of the hurts. Let's face it. We've all been hurt by people. We've all been wronged by people. And you have hurt people. And you have wronged people. And some of us cannot find joy and happiness Because we're still holding on to past hurts. I don't like a lot of secular counseling, folks. Because in a lot of secular counseling, when you go to a counselor, they want to sit there and talk to you about all the stuff you've been through and all the hurts and how people have mistreated you and just that what you've done. I understand that on some level. You're never going to get ahead by looking back and holding on. You've got to let go of the sin through repentance. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and go on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. You get rid of the hurts and the pains by forgiving. Forgiving. Releasing them from that which you feel like they have done, should have done what they owe you. Forgiveness. But Brother Tim, how in the world can I forgive? I've heard, listen folks, I've heard horror stories of what some people have been through. How can I forgive this? One reason. Because Christ has forgiven you of all of your sins. And since He's forgiven us, we have the responsibility and the obligation of giving to others that which we have received from Him. forgiveness a lot of people don't forgive because somehow they haven't convinced in their mind that if they forgive, they're saying what you did was okay and it didn't matter. That's not what forgiveness is. But forgiveness says I, we, I'm acknowledging what you did was wrong. But for, in order to forgive, you also have to be willing to accept the hurt and the pain and whatever else has been done to you. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to take it. If you think the other person owes you something, you're never going to get there. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to take the hurt. I'm going to take the pain. I'm going to bear it. And turn it over to Christ. I'm going to cast all my cares on Him. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to do that in order that I can forgive you. There are four keys to forgiveness that I want you to understand. When you say, I forgive, sometimes we'll say, I forgive you. But you need to understand what genuine forgiveness involves. Okay? Four things. Number one, when you say you're going to forgive someone, you're you're telling them, I'm not going to think about this anymore. I'm not going to think about it anymore. It's done. It's forgiven. Number two, I will not bring it up and use it against you. Never again are we going to talk about this. Never again am I going to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up in an argument. No matter what else happens in the future, I'm. this is done. By the way, not the ladies. I just know the way a lot of ladies are, are wired. We can hold on to stuff. And I know from when you get into an argument with somebody, you get in an argument with your husband or whatever. June 1972. What? You did the same thing in June 1972. You said this, and then whatever. And, whatever. June 19, and not only in June 1972, but then on, in, in 1982, you, you did this again. Well, you can keep a list. I want to remind you in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. If you bring up something that someone has done to you, whatever they did, you haven't forgiven it. If you ever bring it up again, you haven't forgiven it. So you're not going to use it against them. Number three, I will not talk to others about this. Not even in a prayer request, okay? Well, I want you to pray for me. This is what happened, and I'm, I'm trying my best. <laughs> oh, we can use prayer sometimes as a means of gossip. We can use prayer as a means of trying to share our hurt and pain and anger and bitterness, and sanctify it somehow. I'm not going to talk to anybody else about this. There's none of this. I want to share something with you. Now, I don't want you to share this with anybody else, but just so that you understand about what's going on. No. You're not going to bring it up again. And fourthly, I will not allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our relationship from this point forward. That's what it means to forgive. Because you see, all those qualities there is the way God forgives us. Whenever he forgives us, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the depths of the sea. He puts it behind his back, and he remembers it no more. He never brings it up. If you bring it up again, you know who you're like. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's always bringing up the bad stuff that we've done. So he says, forgetting the things which are behind, and not only that, you got to forget the successes. Because sometimes we can try to rest on our laurels and we keep thinking of the good old days and what we've accomplished here and what we've accomplished there. you got to let go of that stuff. where are you now in this moment in your walk with Christ? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to the things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. You got to let go of that stuff and keep pursuing Christ and all that he is and how He is shaping you and molding you to be like him. got to be moving forward. got to be looking forward, and you've got to keep your eyes focused on Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You do this, you're going to have a happy new year. You're going to have a happy life. You're going to have a happy marriage. You're going to have a happy family. Because the ultimate goal through all that you're doing in your life, that all you're doing in your family life, through all that you're doing on your job, through all we're doing as a church, the goal is this, that we might know Him in all of His fullness, and that we might be conformed to His image. His image. And the very things that you think are causing you the greatest hindrances in life, and the greatest pain in life, and the greatest suffering in life, are actually the very things that God is using to drive you to Him that you might know Him more fully, more completely. You'll never know resurrection power without the suffering and death of the cross. That's why Jesus says, If any man would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Lord, may that be the reality of my life. May that be my one desire. May I not be like Martha that was troubled and trying to do so many things. May I be like Mary that was focused on the one thing that was most needful. To be with you. To know you. To love you. To worship you. To become like you when people come into this place, may this be the type of place that every moment they're here will help them come to know You and all of Your fullness. So until the day comes when You come back for us, may okay, we press on. This I ask. Seeking you with all my heart. Therefore, in Jesus' name. Amen. It could be you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, you can not only just start a, a new year, you can start a brand new life with Christ. Today, the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, is leading you to repent to believe, and to surrender. It could be you're looking for a church family, a church home. We would love to have you. If you know Christ, come and be a part of us. And then as Christians, my brothers and sisters, it could be this morning you really do have the inward desire that you might know Him in His fullness. And you want to be committed to continue to press toward that prize, the mark of the upward calling of Christ. good way of just signifying that is just come and seeking Him at His altar. It could be there's stuff you need to let go of, stuff you need to forget. But you come and just lay it here in prayer, and then when you walk away, leave it. Be set free from it whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and leading you to do, you be obedient to Him. Would you stand with me?